Hey everyone, Um, I'm taking the summer off of new podcast episodes. Um, This summer I am teaching a research reading seminar class at George Mason. Uh, It's an online master's class for practicing health and physical educators as a part of our 100% online master's program. So this summer I'm going to launch episodes that I assign in that class. And as a part of the class, um, we definitely read a lot of research articles, but then I mix in some of the podcasts. So I let the experts talk about their research that have uh, published in previous episodes. So these are all episodes that have launched previously. So maybe you've heard them before, but I know there's a lot of content and people miss podcasts all the time based on various reasons. Um, and these are all really good podcasts. I hope you enjoy them. Um, I will be back in mid-August with an awesome podcast about the state of physical education, teacher education in the U.S. with a recent paper that was published by Dr. Phil Ward. So um, these are going to be launching every uh, few days for the next couple months. I hope you enjoy. Great. Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. I am joined today by Dr. Tara Blackshear. Uh, She's an assistant professor at Towson University and the author of a 2020 article titled, The Use of Fitness Gram in Pete, Is It Appropriate? And that's our paper topic for today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to discuss is fitness gram appropriate for Pete students. Absolutely. And when I saw this uh, uh, paper come across Twitter, I looked at it and I was like, oh man, I, I need to get you on because I'm, this is a uh, topic that I kind of struggled with right when I came to Mason. And I'm sure that we'll get into the ins and outs of that. But before we get into the article itself, what pushed you into writing this article? Like what uh, why did you find it important to study fitness gram in an adult population of pre-service teachers? Well, I teach a course, um, physical fitness and fitness, phys- physical fitness and assessment and physical education. And we, when I arrived, um, basically this is what you're teaching. We implement fitness gram in this particular course. And there was really no, rationale explained to me and I just took it upon myself to I I, I assumed that students engaged in fitness gram because this is likely the fitness assessment that they would use as educators so that's that made sense to me if you're going to implement and adopt this fitness assessment you should be competent in the delivery um, in the assessment so we will go through the assessment three times a semester And I was looking, I was trying to find appropriate criteria for adult students and I couldn't find it. So, and that's, that really was what prompted me to say, hmm, are there any fitness gram criteria for the adult um, student? And so I couldn't find any. And then I kept looking and looking and looking. And I realized that most PEAT programs that incorporate fitness testing, they were using fitness gram and there really wasn't any rationale um, as to why. And so that that started my quest to find out, is it appropriate and should we actually be using this in our programs? And I think I had a very similar experience to you when I came to Mason. It was 
hey, this is what we do. We did it twice in my uh, secondary methods course because it's part of the ongoing assessment. And so we did it <laughs> twice in the semester. And I'm like, wait, so we only meet one day a week in that class. And I have to do two <laughs> full fitness test batteries for this class. And I looked at the same thing. And, you know, I think you bring this up in the article, but the, you know, the cutoff is 17 plus. So it's meant yes. for, you know, K to 12 and not a lot of K to 12 people are, you know, over 18. <laughs> so it makes sense. But why, why do you think that fitness gram tests are being used in PEEP programs, you know, across the nation? Like, like what's the perceived benefit why do we even need to test our pre-service teachers? Well, I think the reason fitness gram is used because, or one of the reasons, I think, because it's easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy. Um, other than for using it as an educational tool, like if you're going to implement this, you should be competent. I can see it being used in that respect, but to actually measure their fitness is very inappropriate and so it it's just it's just I I find it interesting so I'm not sure why programs have blindly adopted the fitness gram assessment um, when if you're going to fitness test there are better assessments to utilize and so I'm really not sure why fitness gram probably because it's popular it's well known it's endorsed by shape america and that is and it's easy because they have a software software platform if you purchase it Mm -hmm. it's easy to input this input the data and um so you know i think it it might be because it's easy not really because it's the best pedagogical tool to assess student fitness yeah. and we'll co- we'll go to some of the other options that that you recommend um, but in in your paper you also addressed your bias you said you know biasly you you do think that PE teachers should have some level of fitness which I think is not uh, you know an, an outside the box idea like we all think that you know PE teachers should have some level of fitness if they're going to go into a health and physical education field. So can you talk us little through the research about how fitness levels of PE teachers like affects their teaching effectiveness or what kind of research has there been based on? And I, and I do remember reading at one point that there was an interesting study of a teacher teaching a normal class as themselves and then they put on this disguise that made them look like 20 to 40 pounds overweight like there have been research studies in this area can you kind of talk about does that affect how they're perceived or what how they teach well i am as you as you highlight i am biased i do think that um peak majors physical education teachers and i and i indicate should have a moderate level of fitness i'm Mm -hmm. not expecting them to be these elite athletes but not only because of the health outcomes but the requirements for the job to be an active teacher takes stamina endurance um, and students whether teachers like it or not teachers are role models and so i think for teachers to expect students to um, be proficient, be physically literate, engage in physical activity, 
um, participate in fitness-inducing um, exercises. I think that um, the, the physical education teachers should practice what is being preached. Um, so, you know, not only for their health, but just to, to, to be that role model. Mm -hmm. um, does it make, make you effective, an effective teacher? No, because you can be super fit, fit and you may not be teaching anything. You might be rolling the ball and, you know, there may not, there may not be any objectives and learning outcomes and things of that nature. However, the research suggests that when students perceive or they are aware that their teachers are fit, they are more engaged in fitness and learning about the, the fitness and exercise outcomes. So I do think that if you're already an effective teacher, I think it can help you become more effective or at least get that student buy-in, especially in the secondary age group when they tend to fall off and physical activity mm -hmm. starts to decline. So if you're not doing it from a student's perspective, why should I? Right. And you did talk about some some research that looked at, you know, how students are getting jobs. You know, they're going in yes. and they're getting interviewed by a principal and the principal maybe doesn't know much about PE, but looks at them and says, oh, they're high energy. They they look fit. They're competent. And so that was even more of a driver than just simply being really good academically. Yes. Um, fair or not, yeah, they do absolutely. make physical judgments and they will has been shown that um, people in hiring um, are in a hiring capacity will overlook um, some of the other deficiencies. You may not be as knowledgeable, your grades might not be as high, but you're you're practicing or you have the appearance of practicing what you are teaching yeah. our students. So, yeah. you know, I think it's a, a, a collective of why physical education teachers, PE majors should engage, should engage in physical activity. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the going to the mechanic with the broken car or broken mm -hmm. down car or going to the hairstylist and their hair is a wreck. Yeah. Um, you're probably not going to return or. Um, right. And, yeah. and, and a perfect analogy there with the person that, you know, has their hair a wreck. Right. That person is probably not cutting their own hair, you know, so it's not like we're judging them on something that they're not doing, but. Maybe that's not a ter perfect analogy, but, you know, <laughs> looking at it, it's there's so much more than, you know, a, a teacher who might be, you know, seeming seemingly unfit from an, uh, a biased just looking at a person could be a way better PE teacher than somebody who's very fit and rolls out the ball. So uh, agree. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Um, so, but I, 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 I stand by my belief that they should have a moderate level mm -hmm. of fitness. And so you, you brought up another type of assessment, and you said that some PEEP programs across the nation, nation are choosing the American College of Sports Medicine, so ACSM fitness uh, protocols and criteria. Can you talk to me about the ACSM versus Fitness Gram? How are they different? What... I mean, obviously, Fitnessgram is used K to twelve. ACSM has some adult guidelines, so can you kind of describe what the difference between them is? Yes. Well, ACSM, as you pointed out, is designed for the adult. 
participant. Um, they do extensive research on different um, environments, sexes, um, gender. They have some, some sex sex slash gender, um, ethnicity and race. They have a lot of different variations. Even though some of the criteria might just be general, they do have additional information to let you know that there are some differences um, between populations, different populations. We also, and we use this one for our accreditation assessment, ACSM, we have students who are 56 years old. They range from 18 to 56 years old. And so the fitness gram is really inappropriate for our adult students. It doesn't, it's not even giving them an accurate reading of their fitness levels. And so uh, I highlight that in the paper where we had students, um, we use a lap count for the pacer instead of predicted VO2 max because we had for example, a student achieved 90 pacer laps, which is very difficult to do. Um, but they their VO2 max was low. They were in the health, they were in the low performing zone for predicted VO2, which pacer does, versus the laps, which put them in the the healthy zone. So that's just one illustration of how 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 are we using data, fitness gram data to interpret um, fitness for adults. Yeah. So before we go into the methods section, I think, you know, as, as you're talking about, we do this because of accreditation. I'm wondering if you can explain, because I, I'm thinking about this from an international perspective of people who are not in the U.S. And they're like, wait, you test your college students that are going to be teachers through a test for fitness, for K to 12, like why, why do you even have to do that? Like why do universities in the U.S. have to test or why do some have to test? Well, they don't have to test. So many institutions are governed or were governed. This is changing by Shape America, who established the PEAT standards, mm -hmm. the initial PEAT standards. And in standard two, it says that PEAT candidates will maintain health-related fitness, will engage, engage in and maintain health-related fitness. It's vague, and um, it has been known that that is intentional so that programs can decide how they are going to assess or determine that their students are engaged and maintain health-related fitness. Mm -hmm. And I think it is an easy way to determine. Um, it doesn't really determine if they're engaged, but theoretically, if they're engaging in health-related fitness activities, they should have a, an adequate amount of fitness or an average or above average level of fitness. It doesn't yeah. always work that way. So, um, Backhurst actually did a study, and this is how I found a lot of the information on programs adopting fitness gram. And some programs have fitness gram, some had a battery of their own assessment, some use ACSM. And some held them accountable, meaning they didn't graduate very strict to, they just had to do it. They just had to participate. It didn't matter what their score was. 
and they would report that. And so I don't I don't believe to my knowledge or to my understanding programs were still or still get that accreditation. They're just documenting the information. Mm-hmm. So I think every program decides based on their philosophies. In that paper, there were also some discrepancies. There were some programs who were who didn't do it. They didn't believe it, believe in it. Therefore, they didn't do it. Um, and then sometimes it's professor specific versus program specific. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I and I found this when I came to Mason. We were just transitioning out of doing the shape um, accreditation, so we no longer had to do it because. Virginia didn't require it. So we had this big conversation back and forth of, you know, my first semester, I had to do the fitness gram twice in that class. And I just, it it didn't sit well with me. There Mm -hmm. was no purpose for it. It was just, Mm -hmm. you have to turn these in so we can document this. It has to be for accreditation. And students would ask, like, why are we doing this? I'm like, well, well, we have to stay accredited. Like, you have to do this can we do this another way? No. And I think that it resembles a lot of what K to 12 is like some teachers just pop it in and don't really make it meaningful in that way. But I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that we don't have to do it anymore. Now I get to do the fitness test in a way that I have the students peer teach the fitness, fitness gram and they randomly get assigned a, you know, a part to teach to the rest of the people in the class and they have to do it correctly and with high valid- validity and reliability of of the technique but i think it's i think it's really interesting that depending on what state you go to a university you might have to do this or you might not agreed well our our students do get the um education component that behind fitness gram they just don't do it in without explanation without what a program may look like if you're trying to how to improve your fitness and things of that nature so it's not just a a random one-off how in that particular course and when we were in session face-to-face the fitness assessments we offered were every semester every fall and every spring and it was campus-wide so our students were to engage, at least have on, you know, record, as you pointed out, at least two occasions. However, we encourage them to go every semester just so they can have an idea of where they, where they were. But that, that was, that was voluntary. So can you give a brief overview of the methods just so people kind of understand what the study was? So it was actually retroactive after I started um, seeing that some some students were um, seemed to really excel in the muscular fitness components, and for our ACSM requirement, we were doing the 12 minute run, and we wanted students to have um, a, a, an above average um, score. So average was fine, but above average was the target, and so at the time that was a must pass. They had to pass a cardiovascular component plus three of the four other assessments that we were doing. And we did that because heart disease is the number one killer. And so cardiovascular fitness was what we promoted more heavily than the rest. 
and students were struggling to meet the American College of Sports Medicine's cardiovascular um, expectations. And so that's when I started looking at the data in class. So because it was class data, it was required, I had to submit an IRB to use retroactive course data, and that was fine. So it was across five different semesters, and a lot of that was because of the number count. I needed a, a decent sample. and But similar patterns were um, shown across each semester. And so I independently analyzed each assessment and then did correlation analysis to see what the relationships were across the fitness assessments. And they were aggregated by sex. And I was asked by a reviewer, why did you analyze the data by sex? I says, one, there are sex differences. And two, um, fitness gram um, separates the criteria based on gender. Mm -hmm. Which is a big thing. And, and, you know, even in California, they've, they've stopped doing fitness gram because of that until they figure out how to, you know, not separate so much by gender and figure out how somebody that doesn't identify as strictly male or strictly female, where, where do their results, where are they connected? And so I think, you know, that's, that's a really good answer to a reviewer, by the way, of why did you do this? Why don't you do this? Um, that's how fitness gram does it. Oh. Yeah. And we, and, and we discussed those things in this particular class um, when we were doing body composition and a student asked, right. If you have a transgender male or a transgender female, you know, and I said, from a pedagogical standpoint, you let them choose, mm-hmm. right. You let yeah. them choose and they're tracking their own personal, right. Cause we teach where you're competing against yourself, not against a classmate. Right. The goal is to improve your fitness um, or maintain if you're already at a fit level. But Mm -hmm. that those are always interesting conversations. And hopefully we're giving our students the tools to be an inclusive environment in those situations. So let's uh, let's talk about the results. How successful were the pre-service teachers and what else did the results show? Um, muscular fitness was high across males and females um, in the curl-ups and the push-ups. And a couple of reasons, I think, is in particular with the females, is they're PE majors. They're more likely to engage in physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um, have, we have tend to have a lot of students who are former athletes. They, they do value and think physical education is important or physical activity. Um, but we also engage in a lot of muscular fitness activities in many of our activity courses, especially this particular course. So that wasn't too surprising for me um, that their push-ups were outstanding and they do them in perfect form. (laughs) So I record, yeah, so that was refreshing. Um, the male population, I wasn't surprised. Most of, many of our male students um, engage in more muscular endurance um, activities, muscular strength and activities than, you know, across the board. It's not just our students, but males are more likely to engage in muscular fitness and females are more likely to engage in cardiovascular 
fitness, just generally speaking. But I do think those um, stereotypes and preferences are starting to change the more we become educated on the benefits of physical activity in different types. Um, Flexibility was high. However, the standards are very low in Fitnessgram. And 12 is the maximum, um, 12 inches is the maximum that you can achieve. However, we did have students with 16, 20, 32, but we, we were still in alignment with Fitnessgram. That was all we could do because that's what the software allows. And we saw, um, or I saw inequities there because the, the male cutoff is eight, the female cutoff is 12. And that means that the males actually have more room to exceed their cutoff, but the females is just 12. Mm-hmm. And so I think Fitnessgram could actually increase um, the minimum entry point for yeah. that. And, and, so, and a super simple change in software. Open yes. it up, <laughs> like just, just, you know, change how much. And I, and you talked about the ACSM differences and even the cutoffs there. And I think, you know, you did a great job talking about the limitations of fitness gram in, in these P programs. You talked about BMI misrepresentations where you had a student who, you know, hit 90 uh, on the pacer, but then came over, you know, one of them was the second place person was classified as obese. You had curl up advantages, disadvantages, and you taught me something I didn't know. I didn't know that ACSM took away curl ups as a measure, and mm-hmm. and it does make a lot of sense. You know, their rep, their reasoning was that the limited gains you have in that action versus the back strain that you get. So mm-hmm. coming from a guy who had back surgery earlier this year, I totally get it. You know, and <laughs> so. What are, what were some of the deficiencies and uh, what do they say about fitness gram use and peak? Should should we actually be using it? Who? Just just overall in 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 peak programs, should we be using fitness gram? I think we should only be using it as an educative tool for our students who may employ or utilize fitness gram in their K twelve. PE programming, but I do not think it's appropriate for um, PEAT majors to use for assessing their fitness. And do you think that the ACSM tests should be used instead of Fitnessgram or not not manage it at all? I think if a program is going to require it require it or expect it. I do think ACSM is a better option. Um, But I don't think that students should um, be negatively impacted if they don't meet those standards. Mm -hmm. Meaning there's some programs where you don't graduate. Yeah, which so which is (laughs) intense. I don't I disagree with that, that aspect. Well, and I think if we go back to like the 70s and 80s and PEAT programs, you wouldn't be able to graduate if you didn't hit these gymnastics moves or be able to throw a football through a tire accurately. And they used to have all of these specific (laughs) skill tests that if you cannot do this, you can't be a PE teacher. And those have 
widely gone away other than they might be embedded in a in a program in a in a class like you can't get a good grade on this test unless you know how or this you know the skill test if you don't know these uh these skills but now we've been pushed to doing it in in fitness mm-hmm. well some programs are still doing skills as well <laughs> So what do you mean by some uh, some programs are still doing the skill as in it's embedded into a part of their class or that they're keeping that as a graduation requirement that they have to be able to pass X amount of skills to graduate? I believe there are still some programs that you have to be proficient in certain skill related and health related fitness components in order to graduate Mm -hmm. and some put you on a special program and yes there are still programs that do that and i found that out through just my own research looking at what other i went on did my own search at various institutions with with peak programs um to see what they were doing for fitness and some do health related only and some do health and skill related only and some require or implement an intervention program. So they're trying to help you be successful to meet the expectations, but it's still happening in 2020. Yeah. And it's interesting because I I would think that if you, without having anybody, you know, read your article and ask this question of, should you require that, you know, PE teachers know how to do this and you present it with the idea of, you know, a science teacher needs to be able to do these experiments and have the knowledge. I think a lot of teachers would say, of course, we should be skillful, we should be fit. And I think that comes from a very ableist uh, mindset. And, and I think that it's a tricky situation. It's a tricky subject because on the face value, right, you would expect that a PE teacher knows and is able to do these skills, but I don't think that always needs to be there to be a very efficient teacher. Do you, do you agree? Disagree? Mm, I think you need some level of skill proficiency uh, from experience after teaching 17 years, um, K-12 experiences around the world. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to, um, from my experiences and from the literature to teach something that you actually know how to do. Um, can you teach it and not know how to do, physically do? Of course you can. You can explain, you can give cues, you can can do a battery of things, have someone else demonstrate a video. Um, so there are other tools that can be used. Um, but I think if you are able to um, physically do it, I think it does help with mm-hmm. um, the delivery of that instruction. Yeah. Because you can you can communicate how it feels to do certain things, and so many of these um, of our our of our activities deal with sensory and and feeling the movement. And so, I think sometimes it can be a lot easier and, and more effective to describe um, those aspects of the skill that you're able to engage in. Yeah. So, in an ideal world, how do you hope this article? would affect the, the use of Fitnessgram and PEAT programs? Um, stop using it to assess your students' 
for to measure and to determine their level of fitness. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this just because it's not something that directly is related to your article, but it's something I'd love to get your opinion on. How do how do the things discussed in this article flow downstream? So in other words, how do you think that the use of fitness gram for pre-service teachers shapes their view of fitness testing? And how do you think it affects the, the PE students, like their future PE students down the line? Hmm. It's a great question. Well, I think many people, we, we have the, you know, a fundamental belief, right, that is difficult to change or will never change. And I have a colleague, and we debate this all of the time. This colleague is um, anti-fitness testing, um, period, if I'm not mistaken, I think. Or how we're doing it, I should say. I won't say period. Um I often say it's the approach of the physical education teacher, not the testing itself, right? You Mm -hmm. mentioned the old school, ice a year, beginning of the year, end of the year, no assessment, no education, just no meaning. It's meaningless, Right. right? Versus the PE teacher, I'm going to teach you how to do these moves. We're going to be efficient. This is why we do these things. We, we're, we're tracking our fitness. We're seeing, you know, the benefits. What all all the great things that occur um, because of physical activity and exercise, right? Mm-hmm. So they're getting all that. You, we're, we're doing activities that helps benefit, help you know, helps each area. And so, from a mental aspect, social aspect, um, physical aspect, I think so many are just on the on the physical component. And I speak to that in the article about you know, the benefits of being physically fit are are hard to ignore, right? So they're just, you, you can't ignore them. You know, now we have this, it's actually trademarked, exercise is medicine. Mm-hmm. So, so just wanting our students to be healthy or increasing um, their opportunities to have a, a quality, well-rounded life, I think is, 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 you know, speaks for itself. So I really do think it's the approach um, and how teachers, K-12, higher ed, um, engage in fitness testing. Yeah. I think if it, has, if, if, it, if it has an education focus, I think it's um, a lot more positive and favorable and receptive because I've seen it happen from state schools in the states, public um, charter to international schools around the world. So I think a lot of it has to do with the physical educators approach to fitness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are so many good things about what you can teach through fitness testing. And it doesn't have to be such a high stakes, scary thing versus, you know, a lot of us that, you know, are out of a K K to 12 sitting and have graduated high school track our fitness. We, we look at how long it takes to run a 5K. That's a fitness mm-hmm. test. We look at how mm-hmm. many, what's our personal best and number of push-ups that we can do. And, you know, whether that's competitive or whether that's just kind of tracking 
every year you go for a long bike ride that's the same bike ride to make sure that you can continue staying up to you know what you can do and you know my my father-in-law's 71 and he rides his bike all the time and his whole idea is keep doing what you're doing and so Mm -hmm. he tests his fitness by going on these long bike rides and seeing how he feels and it's not necessarily that he's checking his heart rate but he's looking at the mileage he's looking at time is he slowing down over time you know those are things that you know he's thinking about which i'm sure he's not thinking is fitness testing and it's not a high stakes thing but teaching students at a elementary level middle school high school this stuff i don't think it's i don't think it's all bad i think you're right that it's the educator's perspective it's the way they approach it that can really really be harmful for for certain students if it's done in the wrong way agreed you should read my paper hit training and pe and strategies and i talk about um alternative methods of fitness assessment in fact this particular class since we're online this semester so we won't be engaging in fitness gram or any other face-to-face fitness testing so since we still have our fitness assessment acsm requirement the students will conduct their 12-minute run three times a semester on their own they're scheduled in the syllabus but they do it on their own They have to submit evidence, whether they submit a video of them running, they can show their picture of their app on their phone or their activity watch. They do that and push-ups. Those are the only two requirements that we're doing under COVID. And it may, we may adopt this here on out because it's two two assessments, muscular fitness, cardiovascular endurance, Mm -hmm. and they're tracking their time. And I said, well, the onus is on them. I said, will your students cheat? Of course, some will, right? Mm -hmm. But how you approach um, the expectations, some of them will actually get, really get into it. And I have found mine have. So those are the two requirements. And they have three choice that they can do whatever they want, whatever they want to do a squat assessment, swim assessment, um, throwing distance assessment, they can, they can doesn't have to be health related fitness. So the two are required and the other three are choice. And so, as I'm sure you're aware, choice um, it tends to increase the likelihood of engagement. And this so far, it's, it's been pretty successful. We've had two rounds. We have the final round at the end of the semester. So I'll get some feedback from students um, on their on their perceptions of how was this type of fitness assessment? They have to write an analysis. They have to analyze their data, a comparative analysis. They have to write a reflection. How did they feel physically? How did they feel psychologically, um, and so forth? And so it's a it's a nice um, reflective assessment that they've always had to do in that particular course, um, but now they're administering their own fitness assessment. Yeah, and a great Pete assignment but also a really good thing to uh, navigate and change into a K-12 setting. I mean, imagine that doing XYZ assessments for Fitnessgram or whatever they need to do and then having other self-selected things that they are really interested in. Like you talked mm-hmm. about a swim assessment. You might not be able to do yeah. it if you don't have a pool in 
in your school, but other students who are on a swim team might really want to push that. So, mm -hmm. but Agreed. thank you so much for sharing the paper and um, we'll uh, link to this paper and the paper that you just mentioned through uh, into the notes section. Um, okay. So um, I'll get that from you. And um, for those of you who want to read the full article, um, I'll have that citation in there and we'll have a link to it. And um, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Awesome. So that's all we got for you on this one. I want to thank Greg Coogan for his help in prepping this podcast. And uh, thanks for listening.